You know, the idea of getting older is something that's on the minds of just about everybody here who's not still in school, right? And maybe even if you're in school and you've got an old soul, you think about it. It's something that we think about and we try to avoid. We cling to our youth like a dog with a ham bone. I mean, it's like we don't want to let go of it. And and so I want to, I have something to say today to older and younger adults. And you get to decide which of those two categories you're in, Right? which one you'll listen to. But I want to start by talking to those of you who are younger adults. It's technically I'm talking to millennials, Generation Z. I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is that experts think that by the time you're older, because of our advances in medicine and nutrition, you're more li- you're as likely to live to 100 as people in older generations are to get to their 80s. So think about how many 80-year-olds you know right now who are still just functioning and going through life and, and doing things. There will be that many, they think, people in their hundreds living the same way uh, when you get to that age. That's good news. The bad news is, if that's, if that's true of you, that means that you're going to be old longer than you were ever young. Think about that for a minute. More of your life is going to be spent in those elderly years than these precious little years when you've got smooth skin and, and you know, 0% body fat. And, and listen, I, I know, I know uh, it, it is a good thing to take care of your, of your body. God gave you this body and to be a good steward of it is great. So by all means, apply moisturizer and say no to enchiladas once in a while and mix in a few vegetables and get some exercise. I'm all for that. But why not spend most of your self-improvement time and energy on the qualities that don't go away, no matter how old you are. There are things that you can invest in in yourself that first of all will make you a better neighbor, better employee, better friend, better spouse, better parent right now, but they'll also last. You'll have double that when you get to be 80 instead of it slowly trickling away over time. We're going to talk today about a guy who lived that way who was stronger in his later years than he was as a young man. Uh, For those of us who are, well, we can't say we're young adults anymore, or maybe we're even just owning it. I'm, I'm in that older category. My challenge to you is to remember that risk and adventure are not a young man's game. They are for everybody who's still breathing. Remember, some of us remember when former President Bush, George H.W. Bush, the older of the two, when he was making news because he was jumping out of airplanes in his 80s. You remember that? Why was that big news? Not just because he was a former president, but because people that age aren't supposed to do things like that. Society says that when you reach a certain age, you're supposed to become boring. You're supposed to become safe. You're supposed to just sit around uh, eating dinner at 4.30 and watching the news all day and complaining that you know everything went downhill when women started voting or something ridiculous like that. Uh, you know That's the way you're supposed to be. But... That's not what the scriptures tell us. How old was Moses when God called him to liberate the people of God from slavery in Egypt? When he started his life's work, he was 80 years old. 80 years old at the beginning. How old was Sarah when she gave birth to Isaac? 90 years old. John, scholars believe, was 100 when he wrote the book of Revelation. And Noah looks at those three and says, hold my, I don't know, my olive oil or something. He says, because he was 500 years old when he started building the ark. So what I want to say to you is, 
that the time that we consider the golden years, far from being a time when you sort of fade off into oblivion, that should be your most productive years for some reasons I'm going to talk about later in this message. But right now, I want, to, I want you to picture a group of Israelite men about 3,000 years ago, clustered around one old guy in his 80s, a guy we know by now named Joshua. The conquest of the land has been fulfilled. There's still some pockets of resistance, but, but they've claimed the promised land. It's been seven hard years of warfare, and Joshua is standing there with the elders of the 12 tribes, and he's allotting the property, allotting the, the territory to each of the 12 tribes. When he gets to the, to the allotment for the tribe of Judah, he says, y'all know that there's that place up in the hill country that the Anakites, the Anakims still hold. It's up in that, old, that ancient town of Hebron. And, and will somebody go up there and defeat those Anakites, those Anakims, so we can have the whole property of Judah? And nobody raises their hand. All these guys in their 20s and 30s and 40s, they've lost the will to fight anymore. They're done. And then all of a sudden, this old coot steps out and says, oh, come on. Give me some men and I'll claim that land. And instead of laughing, everybody listens because this is no ordinary old man and that's no ordinary piece of property. I'm going to tell you a little bit of background and then you're going to read or you're going to read along with me one of the most inspiring speeches you will ever hear in your life. Every time I read this, when I'm reading through the Bible every year and I come to this part, I just want to throw my Bible down and go punch a bully. I mean, it's just, it's inspiring stuff. So, but, but first, you need to hear some background, all right? So 40 some odd years before this day, the Israelite people were on the cusp of the promised land. They were in a place called Kadesh Barnea, just across the the Jordan River from the promised land. They had been liberated from slavery just weeks before. They had seen incredible miracles for their liberation. Now they were being led across the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They were eating literal bread from heaven. They were drinking water from rocks. And no people has ever been that close to God, has experienced God's outward, physical, abundant presence that often and over that period of time like this group was. So there they are. They've just got to cross the river. But first they send 12 spies one person, one man from each of the 12 tribes to go and give a report on what the land is like. And they come back, these 12, and they say, everything God said about the land is true. It's beautiful. Here, we brought back a cluster of grapes. They're so big, it took two of us to carry it. Uh, This is a land that is fertile. It is abundant. We could prosper there. The problem, 10 of the 12 say, the problem is that the people there are huge. And I want, to, I want to read you some of their words. Joshua, I'm sorry, Numbers 13, 32 says, the land is a land that devours its inhabitants. There we also saw the Nephilim. If you're really, really sharp, you'll remember from Genesis chapter 6, there was, this, there was this legendary ancient race of people called the Nephilim, and they were huge and they were fierce warriors. But what happened between Genesis 6 and Joshua, or, or Numbers? There was a flood, Remember? There was a flood, and everybody died. The Nephilim died too. They don't exist anymore, and yet these guys are so scared, they're seeing boogeymen. They're seeing spooks behind every rock and every bush. He say, and their final word is, we became like grasshoppers in their sight. We went there confident. We came back afraid. There's no way we can win. Now two of the ten, Joshua and the guy we're going to meet today named Caleb, they give a different report, a minority report, you might say. 
They say to the people, don't listen to these other 10 cowards. You saw what God did to Egypt. He can do that to the people of Canaan. He has promised us we will win. Let's listen to His voice. Let's follow Him and and live out His promise. But the people are so scared by this time. They actually talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb to death to shut them up. And this is... This is one of the great failures in the history of God's people. The consequences start immediately as the ten unfaithful spies all drop dead and there's a, a plague breaks out among the people. And then over the next 40 years, that generation, that entire generation dies one by one, dropping like flies in the desert as they wander aimlessly for 40 years, eating their miserable manna and, and thinking with deep regret about the time they could have had something but didn't trust God enough to claim it. So Caleb's been thinking about that for 40 years now. That, that, that hill country where the Anakim live, that was his place. That was going to be his inheritance. It's been sticking in his craw for four decades. And so listen to his speech. Listen and think about, picture those young men standing around who have just turned down the chance to fight. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as He said, these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke His word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. This guy was 85 years old, and his life's work was still ahead of him. And I want you to know, when he says, I'm still as strong today as I was then, I don't think he's talking about the strength of his biceps or his quads. He's thinking about, my God is still God. He's the one who gives victory. He promised me victory. I don't care if I got to get up there on a walker. I'm going to go and do what God said. And the scriptures don't tell us, but somebody went with with Caleb. And somebody helped him clean out that hill country and defeat those Anakim. We don't know who they were, but I suspect it was some of those men of Judah who heard this old man say, I'll go up there myself if I have to. And were shamed into it and said, okay, if he's going, I'm going. We'll follow Caleb. He's got more faith. He's got more courage. He can be our leader. But he accomplished it. How? How did this old man do this? Because he wholly followed the Lord. That is his secret. That is Caleb's secret to success. If Caleb wrote a book, How to Be Successful in Life, it would have one sentence on one page, Holy follow the Lord your God. 
So before we go any further, I just want to give you four little questions to ask yourself, four self-test questions. And you might want to write these down, or you might want to take a picture of the screen, but this is something I want you to wrestle with in the days to, to come. And the first question is, in my goals for life, am I wholly following the Lord, asking Him what His will is for me, or am I making my own plans and asking God to bless them? There's a big difference between those two. Number two, in my family, am I wholly following the Lord? Or uh, am I honoring my parents? If I still have my parents, am I giving them honor like I should? If I'm married, am I loving the person that he's given me for who he or she is? Or am I trying to make them into the person I want them to be? If I have kids, am I equipping them to follow Christ above all other things? Number three, in my finances, am I wholly following the Lord? Or do I act like it all belongs to me and I can spend it however I want? Number four, in my relationships, am I wholly following the Lord, seeing every person as an opportunity to show Christ's love? Or do I simply use people for my own purposes? Am I here to serve them or do I make them serve me? Listen, we got Thanksgiving in just a few days. And I know it's typical this time of year and it's, it's very good to, to spend your time thanking God for the things you've been given and the things you've been blessed with. And you should do that. But take some time to say, Lord, in what ways am I not wholly committed to you? It could be that this very day there's something just right in the middle of your forehead that you're just knowing. Nobody else can see it, but you know this is something I'm holding back from God. I'm not giving him my all in this area of my life. And today could be the day that you come like, like Caleb and say, I'm going to wholly follow him and nothing's going to stop me. My strength now is going to be like it was once upon a time when I was wholly committed to Christ. So that's, if you want points, there's your points. Now I've got two things. I've got something to say to the older folks and something to say to the younger folks, and then I'm done, all right? And I'm going to get up in your business, I'm afraid. All right, older adults. There's this story I read about this preacher named Charles Simeon. I know nothing else about him except the story I'm about to tell you. Charles Simeon was an English preacher from some years ago. Uh, he was a very powerful, effective preacher. His church was growing. He was in his mid-40s, kind of at the top of his game. And he had this thought, you know, this is hard work. This is stressful work. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to, I want to do something that's a little less stressful, a little less uh, time-consuming and, and hard on the body. And so uh, when I get to the age of 60, if God gives me 60 years, I'll retire then and then spend the rest of my years enjoying uh, life, enjoying my reward. He didn't say that out loud to anybody. He didn't write it down. He just said it in his own mind. If I make it to 60, I'll retire. Well, almost immediately, he got sick. He got sick enough, and in fact, doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. He got sick enough that he literally lost his strength, lost his voice. He would get up and preach, and he could only croak out the message. He had to grip the sides of the pulpit with his hands because he, his knees were shaking, and he could barely even stand there for the 30 minutes or so it took to deliver a message. For 13 years, he dealt with this, praying, God, deliver me from this. I, I want to serve you again. Finally, after 13 years, miraculously, his strength returned. His voice came back. He felt renewed and rejuvenated. And he realized he was about 60 years old. He said, you know, this is the age that I told myself I'd retire. But now that I've got my strength back, I, I don't want to retire. I want to preach as long as I can. He ended up preaching until he died at the age of 77 years old. 
And later he wrote, he wrote that those 13 years that God revealed to him, you know, I let that happen to you because you were presumptuous, presumptuous enough to think that you could decide when to quit. He said, I, I wanted you to understand, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. And you quit when I tell you to quit. You're my servant. I've got things for you to do. And the story does not mean that retirement is a bad thing, okay? I want you to understand this. If, if you've gotten to the place in life where you're blessed enough where you can say, I don't have to go into the office anymore. I don't have to have somebody else be my boss anymore. I don't have to do that. I can step away from this thing I've done, my nose to the grindstone. Good for you. I celebrate that with you. In fact, I would say as a pastor, other than the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, our retired adults are our best resource because of the time they can give and the wisdom they have and the, the resources they bring. So yeah, I thank God whenever one of you gets to retire and I, I thank God on your behalf. But you never retire from serving God. See, there's this idea that uh, you know, once you reach a certain age, you've earned it, just, just quit and, and go just enjoy life and, and enjoy your reward for all that hard work. That's not biblical. You know what your reward is? Your reward starts when you get to heaven. That's your reward. And that's the reward that you didn't earn that was purchased for you by, the, by, by Christ on the cross. But that's when you get to rest. That's when you enjoy your reward. Again, I'm not saying it's bad to go on trips. I'm not, if you want to buy a, an RV and, and go around the country, if you want to go hang out with your grandkids, that's fine. But what are you doing to serve the Lord? People sometimes say to me, it's interesting, I've, I just realized as I was preparing this message that I've been preaching half my life. I started pastoring literally half my life ago. And so for a lot of those years, I was this young guy and preaching in very traditional churches where most of the folks were old enough to be my parents, my grandparents. And so people would often say to me, how do you like pastoring all these old people? They don't really say that to me as much anymore. I don't know what happened. Um, but... My answer was always, I love it. I love it. I don't envy those guys who pastor those young, hip churches where the, the old folks are 35. I mean, what kind of drama do they have to deal with? I'm, I am so thankful. What could be better than working alongside a bunch of people who've just spent decades with Jesus Christ? who know things I don't, who've, who've had a lot of the rough edges rubbed off of them and who look more like Him than they ever have before. But that is only true. There's nothing virtuous about getting old. I hope you know that. That is only true if you're wholly following the Lord. Otherwise, you're just an old fool. But if you wholly follow the Lord, the lives you can change, the souls you can touch, man, I'm telling you, if you have reached that age where your hair is gray or it's falling out or maybe it's long gone, you have an opportunity to make a bigger difference on this planet than you ever did in your youth. Don't waste that. God has invested in you for decades. Now's the time for that to shine. Now's the time for that to, to glorify God like never before. And I'm not saying that your ministry has to be in the church. I'm not even saying your ministry, whatever it is, has to be the thing you did when you were younger. It is perfectly fine for somebody to say, I've taught this group for this long. I've led this ministry for this long. I've volunteered with these people for this long. Now it's time for me to move on for something else and, and, and hand this off to somebody coming after me. That's a good thing if God's called you to it. Just don't, serving God. Just don't stop serving God. 
And by the way, I'm not just talking about serving. I'm talking about investing in the next generation. Because I, I have the impression that most of you older adults care that this church goes on after you're gone. And if that's the case, and I think it is, take the time to, to identify a young adult or, or a young couple and say, I'm going to invest in that one. I'm going to take them out to eat. I'm going to, I'm going to throw open our home and say, you can come here anytime you want. You can drop off the kids if you need a date. I, I just want to pray for you. I just want to be for you what older adults were for me when I was your age. And realize a lot of young adults today don't live near their parents and grandparents. So they need that. Ask God to show you who can I invest in. Make a difference in this world. Now's the time. Now, young adults, I'm going to tell you a different story. And the message is, don't wait to serve the Lord. Because there will always be that voice that says, yeah, 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 holy following the Lord, that's great, but you're in school now. Or, but, but your, your kids are, are little now, and they take up a lot of time. Or, well, but your kids are in all these sports and all these activities now. Or, or you know, your career is getting to that point where you really, need to, you really need to put the hammer down. Later on, there'll always be that later on. I'm here to tell you now is the time. I remember when I went back to be the pastor of the church I grew up in. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I, I was a Christian from nine years old and I was a good kid, but I didn't really serve the Lord. I didn't really witness. And I thought, this is going to be my chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring all my old friends that I, I never really tried to witness to them when I was in high school. Uh, they're going to join my church. I'm going to baptize them. You know how many of my old friends came to the church I pastored? None, except the ones who were already there. I tell you that to tell you this. Don't think to yourself, Someday I'll serve the Lord. I'll, I'll be all for Him. There are people who are in your life right now who need a Christian witness right now. You can't go back 20 years later and say, hey, by the way, now's the time. And by the way, there are also relationships that you're supposed to be engaging in within the body of Christ that will shape you into the man or woman that you need to be for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your parenting, for the sake of your happiness. And that happens within the body of Christ. If you don't prioritize the body of Christ, it doesn't happen at all. So my, my brother uh, ran track and, and cross country in high school and in college. His college uh, track coach told him something. He said, for you long distance runners, he said, I better never see you sprint across the finish line. He said, if you're sprinting across the finish line after running three miles or six miles or 10 miles or whatever, that means you saved something to the end and you better not save anything. You need to run hard from the moment the gun sounds until you cross the finish line. He said, I, I better scrape you off the track when it's over because you've left everything out there. And I think about that a lot, not in terms of running, but in terms of living. How many of us are waiting until some more convenient time to really sprint for Christ. And now we're just sort of jogging or walking or maybe we're not even in the race. Leave it on the field. Give it all now. You won't regret that. I promise you. Okay, now I'm really going to get up in your business, young people. So I've been in church my whole life. And my whole life I've noticed that young Christians have this tendency to think that it's people my parents' age and my grandparents' age, it's their job to sort of take care of the church. They do all the praying and the giving and the serving and the caring. And I just kind of show up when it's convenient, you know. 
Home from college, I'll go back to the church. Kid needs to be dedicated, okay, I'll show up that day. My son wants to get baptized, well, absolutely, we'll come for that. We'll show up a couple of other times, we'll take a picture on the front steps, Instagram it, of course, hashtag blessed. But then I don't have to come back, because, you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, they're taking care of things down there. Listen, I know it sounds like I'm just giving the party line. Let me just give this disclaimer, okay? And I'm, I'm serious about this. If you don't find your place in this church, go to another church with my blessing. If you don't find a place to serve, if, you don't, if you don't, you're not hearing from the Lord, if you're not growing in Christ and you think you need some place else, by all means, nothing personal. I'll see you in, in, you know, in the restaurant. I'll give you a hug. No big deal. But be involved in the body of Christ. Get involved. Be a part of the body. Use your gifts. Find your calling. Serve, pray, give. Don't waste it. Don't wait until later to start doing that. Because if you do, there are two bad things that happen. Number one, you're cheating yourself of the life God wants you to have right now. Because I know, I know this isn't popular to say, but the Bible is clear. There is no such thing as a full Christian life without active involvement and integration into the body of Christ. I'm not talking about attending church. I'm talking about this is the body. This is what you're invested in. You are in it to win it alongside these people. You can't fully live the Christian life without that. The Bible is clear. You're cheating yourself of that. You're cheating yourself of the opportunities to serve. You're cheating yourself of the relationships you should be having that are shaping you into the person you should be. You're cheating your children because the message you're sending them is that church is irrelevant. And if your commitment is slack now, their commitment will be non-existent later. But number two, you're helping to lead. <laughs> you're going to hate me for this. You're helping to lead to the downfall of our culture. Go visit Europe right now. Go visit the American Northeast, places where the gospel used to thrive, where Christianity used to be on the forefront of every good thing that was happening. And you'll see magnificent church buildings that are now museums or community centers or other things. And what happened? There was a generation that said, I believe in God, but I don't need to be in church. That's grandma's job. That's dad's job. And this is what happens when we fail to pay attention to the body of Christ, to the bride of our Savior. The time to take responsibility for God's work is right now. There are young adults, there are teenagers in this room who you would be awed if you spent time with them at their commitment to Christ, at what they're doing on their campuses and in their workplaces. And so any of you older adults who are back there saying, yo, go get them, preacher, just understand, God is giving us some of those kinds of young adults. It's your job to invest in them. And for those of you young adults who are waiting to jump on the bandwagon, stop waiting, now's the time. And I say that not for my sake, but for yours and for the sake of the gospel. Now, will there ever be a time when that's a convenient choice to make? No. Will there ever be a time when you won't have to sacrifice a little something to follow, wholly follow the Lord with all your heart? No. There, there are some things that are not evil, just good things you enjoy, and you realize, I've got to set that aside if I'm going to give myself fully to Christ. But it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it.
Jesus went to the cross when he was in his early 30s. That's the definition of finishing well. You know you finished well when with your last breath you say, it is finished. I've done it. I've accomplished everything God has given me to accomplish. And he finished well, not because he sprinted to the finish line, but because from the day he was born, he lived his life wholly for the Father. His life was focused on glorifying his Father through saving your soul. If you need a motivation and the words of Caleb aren't enough, think about those words, it is finished at the cross. Is that somebody worth giving your life to fully, completely? Even if there was no reward, it would still be worth it. And the rewards are beyond compare. So think again about 85-year-old Caleb saying, come on, if nobody else, if nobody else wants to do the Lord's work, I'll do it myself. Let's be that kind of man, that kind of woman in the days ahead. That's what you were created to be.